fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore also we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outward man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In the dark of night, a burglar slipped into a house and into a room. And just as he went into this darkened room, there was a parrot in a cage and started crying, burglar, burglar, just kept on, burglar, burglar. Unnoticed to the burglar, two of the fiercest Doberman pinchers you have ever seen walked silently into the room by, the, by a side door. Burglar, burglar, cried the parrot. And the burglar looked up at the parrot in sheer disgust and said, you stupid bird. Is that the only word you know? And the bird said, no, I know sick'em, sick'em. I've been waiting all summer for this day. One day, a day when new students come back to the campus and a new year begins and school begins and vacations are over, a new year for the church and new ministries and programs beginning. And I've looked for one word that I wanted to share with you today. I think I found it. It's the word sickum. But for the most, for the more sophisticated in the crowd, I need to find a better word, a, a more dignified word. And so I suppose that word is growth. Charles Lamb uh, concluded that the only evidence of life is growth. And by that word I'm talking about the construction of character and the capacity to improve and to attain knowledge, to live better and to do better and to be better. For growth incorporates several ingredients. It incorporates dreams and hopes and perseverance and sacrifice and goodness and esteem, the capacity to get along with ourselves as well as others. And so on this day of new beginnings, my message is a call to growth. I, I, I call you to, to dream new dreams and to set new goals and to accept new challenges. 
Norman Mailer said that we're either, either moving forward into something more or we're retreating into something less. We're either dying a little bit or we're growing a little bit. And my call this morning is that we don't die, that we don't retreat a little into something less. My call this morning is a call to dream new dreams and to, and to stretch out to new horizons and to accept new challenges. It's a call to remind you that at the heart of the universe there is this restless impulse that says that nobody can stay the same. He needs to move on. He needs to get up and move on. It's a call to growth. And here's how we do it. You grow out and not in. Now what I'm talking about is not necessarily becoming the most prominent person in your world, the most the big man on the campus. I'm not talking about being the richest person in town. I'm talking about accepting a lifestyle that is selfless. I, I, I mean getting outside your skin and your problems to really empathize in identification with the hurts and the problems and the needs of others to get beyond the little circle around which you've drawn yourself outside of that. It's a call to empathy to grow out and, 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 and not grow in. It's to understand that there's somebody else who has a need for your life also. It's what Paul was talking about when he said that strange thing in verse 10, when he said we carry always about in us the dying of the Lord Jesus, the marks of death in order that, his, that, that he might be manifested in our bodies. And we're always, he said, being continually being delivered up to death that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our mortal flesh. And then he said, all of this is that we're dying in order that you might live. And the strange meaning of that is this. And the Apostle Paul is saying, we've decided that we're going to accept self-denial and death in order that you might live. It's all because of you. During the Second World War, French doctors coined a name for an illness that showed up in prison camps. It was called barbed wire sickness. The symptoms were an appalling sense of frustration and despair and humility and a growing sense of hopelessness. And it, it, they threw in the towel. And it, didn't, it, it, it seems that it didn't matter what activities they had planned for the camp. Those men who had thrown in the towel just couldn't rid their minds of this, of this sense of absolute hopelessness and frustration and despair. Some of us have been inflicted with the same disease, haven't we? We, we seem to not be able to get outside this little circle we've drawn around ourselves. There's so much self-absorption. And about all that some of us can see is our problems and our pain and our needs and our debts and the bad deal that life has given us. And somehow we need to tear down these fences that we have erected in our minds of self-absorption self and, 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 and this self-pity 
that exist in so many of us and, and look beyond the barbed wire fences we've erected in our own lives to the person down the street who has lost a loved one, to the first-year student down the hall who has not yet got adjusted, to the man across the street who is really dealing with pain and the problems that come in life, to get beyond ourselves, to see more than just us. In the sitcom, It's All in the Family, Archie and Edith go back to one of Edith's family reunions, not, not fa class reunions, 30-year class reunion. And, and Edith meets, sees Buck. Now, Buck is a friend from childhood, from class, uh, from an old classmate. Now, the problem with Buck is that he's become appallingly obese. He is huge. And as they talk, it's apparent that Edith hasn't even noticed that he's gotten so fat. And they laugh and they talk about the silly things they did when they were kids. And later on that night, Edith says to Archie, Archie, well, isn't Buck a beautiful person? And Archie says, Edith, I don't understand you. We look at the same things and you see a beautiful person and all I see is a blimp. And Edith gets this kind of a naive look on her face like she does and says with that rising inflection, yeah, ain't that too bad, Archie? It is too bad that all we see is ourselves and no one else, isn't it? The cruelest words ever spoken are, I'm sorry I didn't see you. And it is too bad that there are some people who only see the negatives who find fault with everything because they're, they're not able to see beyond themselves, who never see the good for the bad, who never see the bright for the dark, who never see the right for the wrong, who never see the positive for the negative, who never see the beautiful for the ugly. And how, how, do, you, how do you get out of that? Well, somehow we need to throw aside this this need we feel to play God, this need we feel to control and manipulate and dominate other people's lives, and that's not easy, for society points us in the opposite direction. And all the how-to books on the bestseller list are how to win through intimidation, how to be number one, how to, how to be first. Some of you may have read the book, How uh, Looking Out for Number One, may not know that the author's wife sued him for divorce recently, won this huge settlement and alimony, and somebody asked her why she did that, and she said, I read the book. I'm looking out for number one. A person who, who grows out and not in is a person who's not just looking out for number one. Secondly, we need to grow up but not old. Now, the Apostle Paul makes a marvelous statement in verse 16. He says the outward man is decaying. He's talking about the body. He says this outward, Philip's translation has it, the outward man suffers wear and tear, wears out. If you don't believe that, you go back to one of your 30-year reunions. The outward man is perishing, he said, but the inner man is renewed. He said we're getting, our body's getting old, but we're not. There's gray in our hair, but none in our spirit. We're just as dynamic and idealistic as when we started this. The 
cosmetic industry has been parlayed to a billion-dollar business because all of us are seeking desperately to prevent old age. I was getting ready the other morning listening to Good Morning America, and I heard about this cosmetic, this cream you could buy, order. It said it's guaranteed to return youthful skin. Forget it. You might, you might cover it up, but you're not going to get the youthful skin back. Because this body is suffering wear and tear, it's wearing out. In fact, you're working on the wrong thing. The Apostle Paul says, even though this body's getting old, we're still young. You don't have to get old. Our growth capacities do not have to diminish with old age. You don't have to be inert. You don't have to be complacent. You can strive to attain knowledge, new ideas, and fresh perspectives you can take your youth with you into biologic old age. For age is not a matter of time, it's a matter of the mind, and some of us have gotten too old too fast. Benjamin Franklin was over 80 when he signed the Declaration of Independence. The fires of the Revolution never even flickered in his bones. And Michelangelo was over 80 when he drew up the designs for the Sistine Chapel. Oliver Wendell Holmes was 90 when they told him the Senate was going to cut his pension. Somebody asked him, you think you can get by? He said, I can get by, but I won't be able to lay up as much from my old age as I did before. Norman Vincent Peale in New York City, he's over 80, has four offices in his complex in New York City where he operates four different enterprises. If you've ever read Irma Bombeck, you'll read her again. She's got an article entitled, If I Had Life to Live Over Again. This is what she said. If I had life to live over again, I'd invite my friends over even if the carpet is stained and the, and the couch is faded. I would sit on the lawn with my children not worry about grass stains. And I'd never buy anything simply because it was practical, didn't show dirt, or had a lifetime guarantee. And if my children kissed me impetuously, I would never say, later, get washed up for supper. If I had life to live over again, she said, there'd be a lot more I love you's and a lot more I'm sorry's. But most of all, she said, if I was given a new shot at life, I would seize it. I would look at it. I would see every minute of it. I would live it, and I would not give it back. Some of us who are middle-aged need to hear the challenge of Eric Erickson. You know what middle age is. Somebody said there are three stages to life. Youth, middle age, and gee, you're looking good. Well, I'm at middle age. I want to speak this morning. I want you to see the challenge Eric Erickson says. He said, now you who are at middle age, it's now your choice. Will it be generativity or stagnation? Will it be to continue to make an impact on life or will it be you're going to sit down and wait to die? That's your choice and mine. And I want to divide this morning. I want to take college graduates from their back. I'm going to put them on the side. I'm going to shove them over here. And the senior adults in the church, and we'll put them over on this side, and I want to speak to that group of us that makes up the middle. And I want to tell you, 
that the responsibility of the ministry of this church should not be left up to the senior adults of this church. And if just the middle-aged of us, from college graduate to senior adult, if we made a commitment to the tithing of our income, we'd never have a financial responsibility. And if we made a commitment to give our to, to use the gifts that God has given us. We'd never have to beg for teachers. And if we made a commitment, total commitment to God of our life, the ministry on this and, and, the, and the programs of this church would never retreat into, into less. It's our responsibility. Are we going to choose generativity or stagnation? Are we going to choose to sit down and die and let somebody else do it? Or are we going to make an impact on our world? What a choice. Grow up but not old. We don't have to get old. The inner man experiences revival every day. Third, grow strong but not bitter. Now if you'll read the chronicles of this man's life, you'll read some, some tough stuff. This man suffered. He was stoned one time, left for dead, and they didn't just throw little pebbles at him either. They put him in a pit and, a huge stone, and hurled huge stones on him and left him to die. He crawled out from those. And he was beaten to the point of death. He was shipwrecked three times. He spent most of the time in prison, did the Apostle Paul. It's a remarkable thing that he even lived. Remarkable that he lived. But more remarkable than that was the fact that you never hear in his writings a hint of bitterness about it. As a matter of fact, when he wrote the Jews in the book of Romans, he said this, and I believe he meant it. I don't think it's ministerially speaking. He said, I would be willing for God to send me to hell if it meant you would be saved. Those are the people that were inflicting all this pain on him. He didn't get bitter about it. Now, he was tough. There is a toughness about a man like Dennis Huggins and Carolyn Huggins. There's a toughness there. And, and yet, there is a tenderness also. And, and there's a toughness about the Apostle Paul. This man was tough. And yet, there was a, there was a tenderness in his life. Let me tell you what. Vance Havener was right when he said, for this life it mean, for this life you need the hide of a rhinoceros and the heart of a child. The problem, said Vance Havener, is how you, how you toughen your skin and not harden your heart. That's the tension we live under, is how do you get tough enough to endure life and yet remain tender and compassionate and loving and not get bitter? There's some of us who fail there. And we've said, I've been burned so many times, I'm not going next to the stove. I've been hurt so many times, I'm not going to love again. I've been betrayed so often, I'm not going to trust anybody else. And so we've kind of got our, our old heart has kind of got hardened. How do you keep from that? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us a little hint. He said, for we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. He said, we're not going to look at the things in life that hurt us. We're not going to focus there. We're not going to focus on the people that cause us pain. We're not going to focus on the things that cause us misery. We're going to keep our eyes on the Lord. The 
things of God. We're not going to allow ourselves to focus on these things that hurt us. A man told a story about years and years ago there was this teacher. One day he was walking with his pupil through an orchard. The teacher was blind. He, became, he had an, an illness, a disease when he was a young, band, young boy and he, he was blind. He was called the blind master. And as they were walking along in this orchard, all of a sudden this teacher bent down to avoid a low-hanging limb, low limb on a peach tree. And the student said, how did you see that? How did you know that was there? And the master said, well, just to be able to see with your eyes, that's just one sensation. He said, close your eyes. Let's see what you hear. Student closed his eyes, said, do you hear your own heartbeat? He said, do you hear the footfall of the, of the monk across the courtyard? Do you hear that grasshopper at your feet? And the student opened his eyes and looked in amazement at a grasshopper, the first one he'd seen in the spring. And the pupil said, Master, how do you hear those things? And the master said, Student, how do you not hear them? Have you become so hardened that, you've, that you can't hear him? In the, in the struggles of life in order to survive, have you so hardened your heart that you can't hear with your spirit, your soul? Have in the, in the process, in the, in the process of growing strong, have you gotten bitter? Has life dealt you such a blow that you just shut your ears to the beauty and the beautiful sounds? Grow strong but not bitter. One last thought, please. Somehow we need, a, we need some kind of a growth investment. A growth investment. By that I mean we need to be investing in something that will outlast us. It's what Jesus was talking about when he said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven that will not be lost. And the question is this morning, are you investing in anything that has growth potential, that has, has eternal value and significance? That's a big question. A restaurant owner came to America from the old country and he started a business and did quite well. He did it the old way. He had his accounts receivable in a shoe box. He had his accounts payable on a spindle. He had his money in an old cash drawer. And one day his accountant's son chided him. He said, Dad, that's a terrible way to run a business. He said, how do you know what your profits are? The old man said, son, when I came to America, all I had was my pants. He said, all I had, my pants. He said, your brother's a doctor, your sister's an art teacher, you're an accountant. Your mother and I have a nice house, a nice car, and a nice business. And what I do, I just take the pants off of that. That's my profit. I love it. I, just, I draw the bottom line, and, and I take the pants off, and that's my profit. Now, I'm wondering this morning, when, they, when you draw the bottom line, do you have anything that's profitable about your life? I mean, when they draw the bottom line, do you have anything that, that will outlast you? 
Have you, have you laid up anything that has any growth potential? Heard his preacher tell about his friend was traveling across the country and he was sitting in an airport in Atlanta, Georgia. And he said he was working on his sermon and he didn't want to be disturbed and so he kept his nose in a book. He said there was a guy sitting next to him and he could tell the guy wanted to talk to him. He was just kind of ignoring him. Finally, the guy said, Who are you and what, are you, what do you do? And, and, the, and, the, and the preacher said, Well, I'm a pilgrim. He said, you're, you're what? He said, I'm a pilgrim. And he said, Well, what's a pilgrim? He said, Man, you don't know what a pilgrim is? I thought everybody knew what a pilgrim was. And the guy said, Well, I thought all the pilgrims were dead. And the guy said, No, I'm a pilgrim trying to find my way from birth to life. And the guy said, You mean trying to find your way from birth to death? And the preacher said, No, I meant exactly what I said. I'm a pilgrim trying to find my way from birth to life. Let me tell you how to find your way from birth to life. It's when you live, it's when you grow out and not in. It's when you forget about yourself because you're thinking of others. It's when you grow up and you assume responsibility but you don't grow old. It's when you grow strong enough to deal with life victoriously but you don't grow bitter. It's when you begin, you're wise enough to begin to put some investment into something that will outlast you. And so when Arm was right making that movie on church growth, it's called The Trapeze. And they got him up on a trapeze to show him how it was like. The trapeze artist he was not. And they had a net underneath him. And when he came down from the trapeze experience, he said, I understand what growth is like. Growth in the church, growth for individuals, it means three things. If you're going to get from where you are to where you want to be, from this side to there, you're going to have to turn loose of some things you're holding on. It may mean you're going to have to leave that little country church now in the past as you started a new chapter in your life and in, the, in the university. It may mean that you're going to have to turn loose of some of the bitterness that you have, some of the old hurts. It may mean that you're going to have to turn loose of the old ways of doing some things. In order to get from there to where you want to be, you're going to have to give up some things, turn loose. Secondly, it means in order to get from there to there, means you're going to have to take some risks. There may be some falls. There may be some hurts. Third, you don't have all day to make up your mind. I mean, when you're swinging out on that trapeze, you don't have all day to make up your mind to turn loose and grab hold of something else. My call today is a call to dream new dreams. It's a call to move on. It's a call to take new dares and accept new challenges. It's a call to get from there to there. Let's pay off this building and build a family life center. Let's move beyond 
Let's go beyond. Let's don't retreat. Let's don't do it as a church. Let's don't do it as individuals. Let's turn loose of what we're holding on to and reach for something better. Let's take the dare and the risk and we don't have all day to decide. You're not getting younger, neither am I. It's a call to get up and to go on. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word that Paul leaves us, the testimony of a godly man, a challenge from your heart to ours. Bless it now to the glory of Christ and the decision we make. May it be exactly what you desire for us in this place and this time. For I ask in Jesus' name for his sake. Three invitations. An invitation to come and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. This, little, this week a little child came into my office and said, one of the sweetest things I gotta share with you. I said, why have you come to see me today? She said, I want to be a Christian so bad. I wish I could have captured that and held it in my mind forever. There may be some of you this morning that wanna be a Christian so bad. God wants you to be a Christian so bad. The way we give our heart to Christ is just to trust Him, give our trust to Him, surrender our sin to Him, our faith to Him, our future to Him. He wants to be your Savior with a greater desire than anyone could ever want to be saved. An invitation this morning for you to come and join the church, that is important. There may be some of you today who are coming into our community for the first time and you'll want to join us here. We sure do need you. And God could use you in a special way because you're a member of the local church. There may be some of us this morning and it's my plea and prayer that it'll be this way. We'll want to say, you know, Pastor, I want to make a commitment to go on to grow. I've gotten complacent, indifferent, I've retreated in my commitments. I want to come this morning to begin again. I want to make that commitment. Now I have a feeling that several will come, so that's our prayer. You be the first. On the first word, just hit that aisle and come while we stand to sing.